welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 45, Rise of the Shishmani. First, as always, I want to thank my two newest Patreon supporters. That is Radoslav Stankov and Mehmet Baran. Thanks so much to both of you. And yeah, making some good progress. And uh, I'm going to try to create some cool little extra things for you guys shortly. Uh, Particularly look out for a special podcast extra coming soon. So that's a big thanks to everyone who supported. Last time. We saw Michael Shishman come to the throne in Turnovo following the sudden death of George Turter II as a young man. The Byzantine civil war between Andronicus II and Andronicus III had settled into an awkward peace. And in Anatolia, Osman died just before his followers took Bursa and made it their new capital. Now, Osman's son Orhan Ghazi is the leader of the Ottomans, and they grow in strength in Anatolia. Let's start with the Shishman. Now, you'll recall that he was despot in Vidin, a descendant of the House of Asen, and married to the daughter of the King of Serbia. His impressive pedigree made him an easy choice for the Bulgarian boyars to back as the new Tsar to replace the young dead George Tartar II. If you'll recall, Just as Shishman took the throne in 1323, the Byzantine civil war was in the midst of its second iteration. Andronicus III, the younger one, was laying siege to Philippopolis. So Shishman's first task was to break that siege. The Bulgarian forces inside Philippopolis were led by a commander by the name of Ivan the Russian. Now historians disagree over whether he was from what's now Western Ukraine and later worked for the Hungarians before entering the service of the Shishmani, or whether he previously fled the lands of the Rus when the Mongols invaded. But however he ended up there, he was now a very important court official and military leader in Tornovo. And so as a trusted advisor, he was put in charge of the vital defense of Philippopolis. He had a force of Alans, Bulgarians, and Hungarians. But the Byzantines were determined to retake the city. They employed German engineers to conduct the siege using the very latest technology. They even managed to build a five-story siege tower capable of holding a hundred soldiers. But that wasn't enough to overcome Ivan the Russian and his forces. While Andronicus III was busy with the siege, Shishman was attacking northeastern Thrace and making raids on nearby Byzantine fortresses. Within a year, the Byzantines withdrew. They simply could not take Philippopolis and were hurting too badly elsewhere. However, shortly after the Byzantines withdrew, while the Bulgarians were changing garrisons, the pro-Byzantine population of Philippopolis opened the gates and led a secret group of Byzantine soldiers into the city. And so just like that, despite its valiant defense, Philippopolis was lost once again. But Shishman still held on to other vital territories that he had taken during that siege, 
and he managed to expel Voisil, the brother of the former Emperor Smilets, and a Byzantine ally who had managed to carve out some territory between the Balkan Mountains and the Srednogora Mountains, uh, around where now you'll see Karlovo and, uh, and these kinds of cities in central Bulgaria. So, in essence, Bulgaria lost Philippopolis, but they did manage to sort of solidify their territory. The next year, in 1324, Shishman invaded Byzantine territory yet again. This time, he advanced deep into Thrace, reaching the shores of the Aegean Sea. Andronicus III came to fight off the Bulgarians, but was outnumbered and didn't feel confident enough to engage in a full-scale battle. Thus, he offered Shishman a personal duel to resolve the conflict, something we haven't really seen so much in Bulgarian history before. However, even without knowing the personality of Shishman that well up to this point, you can probably guess how a Bulgarian Tsar would respond. In short, Shishman was having none of it. The commander of the Byzantine army later wrote Shishman's response. So, in response to this request for a duel to resolve the conflict, Michael Shishman, Tsar of Bulgaria, said, quote, Stupid would be the blacksmith who insists on taking the hot iron with pincers into his hands. He himself would be ridiculed by the Bulgarians if he risks not his large and strong army, but his own body. End quote. Translation, I may be proud, but I'm not stupid. I also have the boyars at home to consider. No doubt Shishman had to think about those boyars because they put him on the throne. He did not really take it for himself. And most likely they could take him off of it if they so wished. So... Shishman declined. But in spite of this whole conflict, Shishman still, he wasn't above exploiting the situation in other ways and makes it clear that, oh, he could also help Andronicus III in his fight against his grandfather. They may have been fighting each other, but this battle against the younger Andronicus was not sort of a principled one. It was one of opportunity. And if circumstances change, well, opportunity changes too. And so there was no conclusive battle, but negotiations did begin between this young emperor and the Tsar. The deal they worked out saw Shishman first decide to divorce his Serbian wife, Anna Neta. Now, bear in mind here, Anna wasn't just some Serbian princess. I mentioned she was related to the, the king there, but she was also the granddaughter of Tsar George Tartar, the daughter of Stefan Milutin, the king of Serbia until just three years previously. That meant she was related to Bulgarian royalty and Serbian royalty. And to be more specific, her brother, Stefan Dulcanski, was currently king of Serbia. In other words, Anna could hardly have been better connected by family. Sure, she didn't have Byzantine, uh, well, that direct Byzantine connections, but still about as good as it gets. She and Shishman had been married for about 25 years. They had three children. Obviously, divorcing her was an exceptionally bold move. So then why did he do it? And what kind of woman would convince Shishman to divorce her? Well, a Byzantine princess and a Bulgarian Tsarina. That is, Theodora Palaiologina, daughter of Byzantine Emperor Michael IX and the former wife, of Tsar Theodor Svetoslav. Her husband had died three years ago, and she was now quite the eligible bachelorette. 
And so it went through. Ananetta moved into the Bulgarian countryside before eventually entering a monastery. Marrying Theodora marked a shift away from Serbia and towards the Byzantines. Specifically, Andronicus III against Andronicus II, the grandfather. But the issue here wasn't that Bulgaria now had to rely on the Byzantines in case of a Serbian attack. This really put Shishman in a weaker negotiating position and led to him granting several important concessions on issues like the new border. And you can see the new border map on the website. So in 1324, peace came to Bulgaria as a result of this agreement. A year later, the newest stage of the Byzantine Civil War ended with Andronicus III being formally crowned as co-emperor by his grandfather. By this point, the ongoing civil wars were really though, they were beginning to take a toll on Byzantine agricultural production and on the Byzantine economy in general. At the same time, all these battles were raging in Thrace. Remember, Ottoman soldiers were quietly and not so quietly grabbing more and more towns along the Sea of Marmara. In fact, from time to time, residents of Constantinople could even see Ottoman soldiers across the Bosphorus from the great city. So while the Byzantines were distracted by this civil war, by Serbia, by Bulgaria, the Ottomans have been taking advantage. But still, with this peace, with Bulgaria, peace within Byzantium, everything quieted down for a few years, with one exception. During this period, the governors of Thessaloniki, Ceres, and Melnik all attempted to secede from the Byzantine Empire. But the governor of Thessaloniki, in particular, attempted to ally himself with the Serbs to protect his new independence. The stage was set for a showdown, possibly involving the Bulgarians, to reassert control. However, that governor of Thessaloniki died, and the Byzantines retook the city before much else could happen. So there was a possibility of a larger conflict, but that death sort of put it all to rest before it had a chance to begin. In 1327, the Byzantine Civil War resumed again. Now, I couldn't find any really specific information on what precisely triggered this new beginning to the war, but no, it was now set, every, the, the result of this war is everything set for a larger Balkan conflict, because as you'll recall, Andronicus III, the younger one, had just aligned himself with Bulgaria, which pushed the older Andronicus to align himself with Serbia, but Bulgaria and the young co-emperor were not really ready for this conflict far, or, or no, were ready, sorry, for this conflict far in advance. So young Andronicus and Bulgaria are ready for war, Serbia and the older emperor not so ready for war, but this system of alliances, it's, it's a bit like, you know, a World War I situation, right? You have this, uh, not so complex in this case, but a system of alliances that almost guarantees that this renewed Byzantine civil war is going to turn into a larger Balkan conflict. So, as I said, the Bulgarians and the young Andronicus were prepared for this, so they met in May of that year to sign the Treaty of Cernomoren. This treaty was negotiated pretty amicably, and both sides stood to gain a lot from this alliance. Bulgaria received the promise of Byzantine assistance in the reconquest of Macedonia from Serbia, and in addition, Andronicus III, if he becomes Byzantine Emperor, the sole emperor, he promised to give Bulgaria some border territories and a sizable amount of cash. In exchange, Tsar Michael Shishman promised to aid the young Andronicus in this new war against his grandfather. So, seems like a pretty good deal for the Bulgarians. 
In the fall of that year, Andronicus III quickly attacked and conquered Macedonia and Thessaloniki before Shishman even mustered his forces to assist. Now, this success on the part of his ally actually greatly alarmed the Bulgarian Tsar because he quickly saw that the necessity of his role as an ally, his value to Andronicus the Younger, was vanishing quickly with each victory. In essence, if Andronicus III didn't need the Bulgarians to win the war, well, then Michael Shishman faced the possibility of ending up as an enemy of both Serbia and Byzantium, a very, very dangerous prospect. As a result, Shishman quickly began, began discussions with the older Andronicus. He understood that if the civil war dragged on, his help would be gradually worth more and more, and while Byzantium would become weaker and weaker. And so, in essence, what Shishman's trying to do here is change sides to keep balance. He doesn't want either the older or the younger Andronicus to win an easy victory. He wants Byzantium to beat the hell out of itself, to really damage itself, to wear itself down. And so Byzantium will be weak, and the Bulgarians will be able to exploit that weakness. So to achieve the same, Shishman sent 3,000 cavalry under the command of Ivan the Russian to Constantinople to help protect the older Andronicus. Now, so that was their supposed name, right? They're going there to, to prevent Andronicus III from taking the city. However, in fact, their true goal was actually to capture the elder Andronicus, to take him prisoner, and to take Constantinople for the Bulgarians. However, the agents of the young Andronicus III got wind of this kind of scheme, and he was informed. So Andronicus III was informed, but Andronicus III also decided to tell his grandfather, his enemy, because, well, understandably that, you know, Andronicus III may have wanted his grandfather out of office. He may have been fighting a civil war against him, but he certainly did not want the Bulgarians to take Constantinople. So Ivan the Russian and his soldiers were kept at a distance, and the Bulgarian plot was foiled. Once Shishman realized that the gig was up and that he wasn't going to take Constantinople and capture the emperor, he ordered Ivan the Russian to return to Bulgaria with the soldiers, abandoning his intervention in the Byzantine Civil War entirely. It seems Shishman just decided that he had nothing to gain here anymore. And so just like that, what had seemed like a very promising opportunity for Shishman to take advantage of Byzantine chaos had quickly, very quickly devolved into a fiasco in which Bulgaria gained nothing except perhaps the anger of both sides in the war. In the spring of 1328, Andronicus III managed to take Constantinople. And thus, the older Andronicus II abdicated and became a monk in the city. And just like that, with all these years of on and off again civil war, the Byzantine Empire is over. The civil war there is over. As previously mentioned, though, the, the country was really exhausted. By now, the currency's value had dropped significantly. Uh, everyone was ready to move on from these disastrous years and to, to kind of bring the emperor towards a more stable and more powerful position. But Andronicus III wasn't going to help that in the near term because as he got his victory, he, of course, rewarded all of his supporters lavishly. But he'd always done this, and generally the winners of civil wars have had to lavishly reward their supporters. So this put further financial strain on the empire. Within a month of the end of the civil war, Michael Shishman decided that, you know, he was still going to get something out of this situation. 
and so he decided to invade Thrace. But that invasion was inconclusive, with Shishman avoiding a large direct battle with the Byzantine emperor. So by the end of the summer, both sides are ready for this whole thing to be over and concluded a peace treaty. Well, basically they renewed the Chernoman uh, peace treaty, the previous one they had agreed to at the beginning of this latest version of the Civil War. So, status quo antebellum. Shishman returned to Turnoval with a nice cash settlement. In return, he gave the Byzantines back a fortress that he had taken. Now, in the eyes of political watchers in the Balkans, everything turned to Serbia and Bulgaria. Now, as I mentioned, Serbia was quite unhappy with Shishman's divorce to their princess, as well as the Bulgarian alignment against their side in the Byzantine Civil War. Now, in spite of this up until now, Serbia has been preoccupied with its own issues, uh, some internal, some external with Hungary, and they've been busy and haven't really gotten too involved. But they'd still come out of this Byzantine civil war in a strong position. They were now in control of much of Macedonia, which is land that Bulgaria absolutely wanted for itself. So... Serbia is feeling pretty confident. It hasn't really lost anything as Bulgaria has in these wars. It controls something Bulgaria wants. And the two have aligned themselves quite against each other. And so with this in mind, Shishman was preparing for war. Now he may have just fought a war against Andronicus III, but ironically enough, with that renewed peace treaty, the interests of the Byzantines and the Bulgarians were now once again aligning against Serbia. So the Tsar and the Emperor met again at the beginning of, 19, of 1329 to sign a more permanent alliance with the specific aim of not just combating the rising power of Serbia, but utterly destroying it and splitting all Serbian lands between them. So, you know, we've several times in the last few years have been kind of set up for a wider Balkan war and it just has not happened. But now it's happening again, right? We're getting this set up. We're having the three main Balkan powers, the Byzantines, Bulgarians, and Serbs, all setting up for something big. In the meantime, while this preparation is going on, Andronicus is taking actions against the young leader of the Ottomans, Orhan, son of Osman, in Anatolia. Right, because of course during this whole period the Ottomans have been steadily gaining power and pushing the Byzantines out of Anatolia. So that year, Andronicus decided that he needed to really take action to curb that growing power. To do this, he gathered an army to relieve the sieges of Nicomedia and Nicaea, the last two really important outposts in Anatolia for the Byzantines. But the emperor could only muster around 4,000 men for the task. Again, the Byzantine Empire was pretty exhausted at this point. But he set out anyways. This Byzantine army met an Ottoman force roughly double their size at Pelakanon in June. Initially, both forces kind of sussed each other out, tried to figure out what the other was going to do, sending small forces and ending up in a bunch of small, indecisive engagements. But eventually, the Byzantines attempted to pull back and were prevented from doing so by the Ottomans, who pressed their advantage until the Byzantine force just collapsed. And with that collapse was a slaughter. The emperor himself barely managed to escape to Constantinople by sea, but the defeat was a brutal blow for Byzantine morale. An attempt to retake land in Asia had failed utterly. And so considering this, Okay, fair enough. It was a small force that the Byzantines had managed to bring together, but 
what this showed was their utter impotence in Anatolia. This impotence was just laid bare. Everyone could see that the Byzantines could not stop these upstart Ottomans. They couldn't even come close. You've heard me mention many times that the perception of Byzantine power was always an essential element in their strength. Well, with this loss, that element of their strength is vanishing very fast, and that's dangerous for them. In the spring of the next year, 1330, Tsar Michael Shishman was ready to mount his own full invasion of the Byzantine Empire, in spite of the peace. Now, this may seem a bit weird, like, wait, 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 I thought he was going to attack Serbia. Well, you'll, you'll kind of figure out what he's thinking. So he sends an ultimatum to the Serbian king, Stefan Dechansky. In the spring of the next year, 1330, Tsar Michael Shishman was ready to mount a full invasion of Serbia alongside his Byzantine allies. So he sent an ultimatum to the Serbian king, Stefan Dechansky, demanding that Serbia submit and become a Bulgarian vassal, or he would, quote, set up his throne in the middle of the Serbian land, end quote. It shouldn't come as a shock to hear that King Stefan declined the offer. And so that Balkan war began. Michael Shishman gathered his forces. These included Besarab I, a voivoda, a sort of warrior leader of Wallachia, the found, and he was the founder of the princely dynasty there. So quickly, I didn't mention this, but in 1310, Wallachia, a territory in what's now the southern stretch of Romania along the Danube, and a territory which Bulgaria had very frequently controlled throughout the centuries, was in the middle of this kind of long process of breaking away from Hungarian rule. So Besarab I was the guy leading this, and he was a Bulgarian ally. So Besarab sent soldiers to aid Shishman along with some Ossetian soldiers from the South Caucasus and a contingent of Tatars. Along with the Bulgarian forces, Shishman had somewhere between 12,000 and 15,000 soldiers. Now, bear in mind that this is a period of the Middle Ages where we see far smaller armies in the Balkans than we've seen in previous centuries. These more decentralized states really can't field those 40, 80, even 90,000 strong armies that we saw in the past. Against the Bulgarians and their allies, a slightly larger Serbian force with mercenaries from Germany and Spain. So in July of 1230, Andronicus III invaded Macedonia from the south, taking Prilep and several fortresses. However, instead of progressing further and meeting up with the Bulgarians, he decided to pause in Prilep and await the results of the looming showdown between the Serbs and the Bulgarians in eastern Macedonia. This played right into the Serbian aim of ensuring the two enemies did not join forces and thereby massively outnumber their own army. And so this grand joint Serbian, or sorry, uh, Bulgarian Byzantine invasion of Serbia very, very quickly became a, well, Byzantine wait and see, let the Bulgarians do the invasion. And so the Bulgarian and Serbian forces met near the modern Bulgarian-Macedonian border at what is now Kustendil. After a brief skirmish in which the Bulgarians were victorious, both sides were anticipating reinforcements, Shishman from his brother Edvidin and Dechansky from his son. And so both sides agreed to a one-day truce so they could await more soldiers. Now wait, you're probably wondering, why did Shishman agree to wait after just winning the first engagement? 
Well, in short, he was still waiting for his army's supplies to arrive, and his soldiers were fairly short on food. And so, with this peace treaty, or this truce rather, in play, that night, Michael Shishman instructed his army to disperse and go search for food in the countryside. However, during the night, Serbian reinforcements arrived. As a result, the Serbs attacked the unprepared Bulgarians in the morning, still relaxed, believing that truce was in effect. The Bulgarians fought ferociously, and Michael Shishman attempted to rally his forces, who were completely disorganized, and bring them together to fight, but it was not enough. As hard as the Bulgarians fought, they were disorganized and outnumbered. Rioters from the time talk about the local river running red with the Bulgarian dead. The Tsar himself was wounded in battle and taken prisoner by the Serbs, and within a few days, Michael Shishman was dead. The battle of Ilbajd was the end of him. Shishman was buried at a nearby monastery in what's now Macedonia. I've included a photo of the church on the website. After the battle, the Serbs were unable to push their advantage because reinforcements from Lovic did arrive and blocked their advance into Bulgaria, and so both sides made peace, with the Serbian king commenting or demanding, if you desire to have peace with us, and if you don't wish your whole land conquered, depose Alexander and make Stephen, my sister's son, king. And so, Shishman's son, Ivan Stefan, became the new Tsar. Because, okay, Ivan was the son of Shishman and Anna Neda, again making him the nephew of the Serbian king, instead of Alexander, who was a son of Shishman from his new Byzantine wife. So, okay, so the this was a disastrous battle for the Bulgarians. But at the very least, the Serbs, as I mentioned, they were blocked. They couldn't press their advantage. But what was clear from this victory is that the Serbs wanted a pro-Serbian Tsar. They wanted a Tsar with Serbian blood. And this was a sort of hard demand. And by doing so, they're really demanding that Bulgaria shift its alliance away from the Byzantines. And also as a part of this agreement, there was some territory along the border that was given to Serbia. But that was really the end of the war. Now... Going back to Michael Shishman, he had ruled for just seven years. He was bold, he was brash, he held some promise, but that promise was now extinguished. He was still a young man, just as George Tartar II had been, and now they're both dead. For another perspective on these events, I want to do an extended quote from the 18th century Bulgarian historian Paisi Hilandarsky. He described these events the following way. Stefan Niman, the Serbian king, prepared to take revenge on Michael, the Bulgarian Tsar, for that indignity of his sister. But Michael too gathered Bulgarian and Wallachian troops, and he also called on the Greek king Andronicus for help. The Greek king set out with the Greek army, but being sly, he took Lagon's side and did not go to Michael's aid when he advanced against the Serbian land from the north and ravaged the country, even to the upper re reaches of the river Struma. On the fifth day, Stefan Numan began besieged him. He had 10,300 Germans and other Serbs and Magyars in his aid. Stefan Numan, the Dichan king, defeated Michael and killed him in battle. Andronicus saw how Tsar Michael fell, and the Bulgarians quarreled among each other about who they should proclaim king." End quote. So don't mind, he, how to explain, Paisi gives people different names, it can be a little bit confusing, but you get a feel for the, the, the broad way he kind of characterizes this. 
And so Ivan Stefan and his mother entered Tornovo to rule together in August 1330. The divorced wife and her sons thus replaced Shishman's second Byzantine wife, who fled from Constantinople with her children. This, again, obviously marked a shift away from the Byzantines and towards the Serbs in terms of Balkan alliances. But this leaves the obvious question, what were the Byzantines doing about all this? They were obviously waiting back to see the results of the battle, and we saw the results, so what was their response? Well, Andronicus now saw that Serbia was strong and was going to be difficult to attack, and Bulgaria was now weakened and being ruled by a new Tsar. Though Ivan Stefan was in his 30s, he was not exactly a, a child Tsar, as we've seen so often in the past, but still he was new at this. So, using the expulsion of Shishman's second Byzantine wife as an excuse, the new well, Andronicus resolved that the conflict with Serbia was over, and he decided to turn to Bulgaria instead. So, the emperor turned his army around and invaded Bulgarian Thrace, taking most of the important cities there and along the Black Sea coast before Bulgaria was forced to sue for peace. And so, uh, yeah, you feel a little bad for the Bulgarians, right? They've got this big joint invasion of Serbia, the Byzantines pull out, they lose to the Serbs, and the Byzantines turn on them. It's just a, a series of bad luck. And so all this conflict really finished up by the fall of 1330. Also that fall, far off in the north in Transylvania, an army of no more than 10,000 soldiers led by Bessarab I ambushed a Hungarian army three times their size. That army had been sent by the Hungarian king Robert to put down this newly independent Wallachian state. Robert was brash and bold and thought his forces vastly superior to those of the upstart Wallachians. But his grand knights in their shining armor were surrounded and were slaughtered. And so, with the Battle of Posada, Wallachia established itself firmly on the map of Europe. And I'm going to leave it there. With the new Tsar on the throne, Bulgaria seemingly at the mercy of both Serbia and the Byzantines, having just lost wars against both of them, with the Ottomans triumphant in Anatolia, and with a new Wallachian state establishing itself north of the Danube. Next time, we'll see how this complex political situation evolves, and how the new Tsar fares. So, I'll see you then. In the meantime, this episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. Until next time, uspech, or in English, good luck.